welcome to the Laravel IO podcast. My name is Sean McCool, I think, and I'm here with Taylor Otwell, Jeffrey Way, and Chris Fidel. So, yeah, hey, hey everybody. Hey. So good to have you guys back. Um, we have a lot of stuff coming up. It's kind of a weird time. I think this summer is incredibly busy for everyone. Yeah. Yep. A couple conferences, international tours. <laughs> oh, yeah. You doing a signing tour? I wish. That'd be fun. Yeah. Someone someone just tweeted me and asked if I'd like to come to the UK, and I said, in theory, yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd like to go a lot of places. <laughs> They're going to hire you a new job, or uh, offer you a new job. Maybe so. That's what we got to do. The next Laracon is just wherever you want to go next. Just pick a place and find a way to make it work. <laughs> Throw a dart at a map. Yep. Laracon Siberia. Yeah. Speaking of which, the first Laracon is exactly a month away. I know, yeah. This recording. Is today? Yep. Yeah. month That's from today. Wow. It's getting too close. I need to work I on my presentation. Yeah, I am getting nervous. I've been working on it. It's just uh, they're n- they never feel done. I'm always that guy like a week before I'm scrambling. I just, I, I'm not that kind of person that can do it two months ahead of time. Have y'all seen that um, speaking.io? Yeah. Ian uh, tweeted this earlier, but it has like a lot of um, conference talk preparation tips. Kind of cool. Oh, cool. Oh, actually, on that note, have you guys seen this new Mac app called Dexet? Yeah, it's that so looks insane. Good. Seriously, like anyone listening to this who talks, it's you can get it, I think, on the App Store. It's like 20 bucks. It is by far the best slide software I've ever seen. Basically, it's all in a single markdown file, so... Everything you already know, but as you edit it, you'll immediately see it updated in the app. Or even things like if you switch over to whatever editor you use, it will hover the current slide so that it never disappears. So as you make changes, you click save, you'll see that little hovering slide immediately update. It's so good. Everything wow. from like images and, and inserting code, all of it works perfectly. So I'm definitely going to be using it. Have you played with the typography in that, or is that kind of all the images if you want to do something fancy? Uh, they have, like, a handful of different themes, so you can't customize it too much. But I think they have, like, ten different themes, so they're nice. all pretty good, actually. But, yeah, I really love it, so I definitely recommend it. Even things like if you want to add an image, like, as a background and have it a little transparent so you can overlay some kind of quote, it's all just, it works perfectly. You don't even have to think about it. Do you think you'll do any live coding? Yes. All right. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I, 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 um, I have this little trick where I make my presentation title generic enough so I can kind of make it whatever I want. So I think my title is like called What's Wrong With It? So that can be so generic. If I change my mind in a couple of weeks, I can change what I'm talking about. <laughs> but what I, I was thinking for, for mine, what I'm going to do is... um. You know, so many of the talks are very kind of theory-related or culture-related. I want mine just to be lots of cool stuff you can do in Laravel. So lots of examples of like, all right, here's something you'll typically see. What could we do better? What might be improved here? And then just nonstop, only, almost like Family Guy style, just lots of little quick uh, yeah. examples and stuff. I think might it's be fun. 40-minute Laracast. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like that. Well, that- I like presentations like that. That's something that you're well suited for because in order to do something like that really effectively, you probably have to have like your finger on the pulse of the community. Yeah. Like have an idea what people are doing and what things could you know benefit them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I see it at Laracast all the time. 
It is, it, I mean, that stuff is really tough because somebody will say, how can I make this better? And the answer is like, well, maybe it's fine. You know, it just depends upon what you're working on. I hate that, too. Like the 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 answer to some of these questions is entirely contingent upon what they're building. So like yeah. like CQRS, something like that. Well, that's really cool, but it may be completely inappropriate if you're just building some stupid blog or personal site. There's you know? a good chance it probably is completely inappropriate. Yeah, more often than not. But it doesn't change the fact that people want to play around with this stuff. So we end up playing around with these these uh these ideas that were very much meant for high level enterprise stuff, but they end up getting applied to blogs and task apps because we want to play around with this stuff and, and that's how you learn, but yeah. Yeah, that's tough. CQRS is probably a little bit anyway. I I just think that when it comes to uh the DDD patterns and stuff, you have to really know what you're doing. And if you're paying attention, you're reading on DDD and it talks a lot about when not to do it because the cost is just too high. Right. And I think that's an important part of, of DDD as a discipline, like when to stay away from it. Like they're talking about how even in this one part of your app, you model it in a certain way, but in the rest of your app, you just do it, you know, what, you know, the old way, I guess, or, or whatever, normal way. Right. Um, now I have to think about what I was going to say. Um, so yeah, that's an important point because like, I, th- I think when you have, um, like a side project, that's, that's when I go sick and just do like all the patterns and like all the domain driven design type things. Um, but I think a lot of people get in trouble trying to apply to that stuff that they haven't really had a lot of practice with in a project they're doing at work or for a client or something like that. Um, cause then you get the people who are like really in a pickle and they have a deadline and they're not really sure like how they're going to implement all this stuff. And you get these crazy questions on stack overflow and IRC and that kind of thing. Um, Isn't that annoying? Like no matter how many years we will put into this, we all end up going to stack overflow countless times every week. Like no matter what, <laughs> you're always going to be going to stack overflow, figuring out how to do something. The arch wiki. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. annoying. Well, I, I think that um, you, you just have to take incremental steps forward. You don't just drop everything that you know and, and just go all the way to the wall. It's just not responsible, you know? It, it makes sense if you have this new concept that you actually understand, like I'm going to start implementing more value objects, for example. It makes sense because then you're not, like, getting yourself in too deep and you're not getting your client in too deep or, or for whomever, you know, you're doing the work. Uh, I, I just don't think that you should just go crazy and implement all kinds of new stuff. You just... Just take one step forward, you know, at a time. Right. Yeah. I mean, you have to learn how to do it by practice because you can't really just figure everything out by reading about it. But at the same time, you have to know when to apply it. And and getting to that point is kind of hitting your head against the wall a few times. Yeah, that's true. You don't know when not to apply it until you realize that you screwed up. Right. It's like you can read a book as much as you want, but you don't know until you actually fall into that trap. Yeah, that's why I think like programming in general is so hard to do by yourself. Like it's I think you progress a lot faster if you're working with a team of people and especially if you're working with a team of like more experienced people that have worked on large projects because you just are you know around people every day with enough hands-on experience to know like when certain things are appropriate and it's hard it's really hard to do that if you're just even just reading a lot online and trying to figure it out all yourself. Yeah, I have a lot of people reading uh the clean coder right now because it's just it's not about 
programming. It's about being a programmer and, you know, when to say yes, how to, how to say no and, and what these words mean and all this stuff. And it's a, uh, I think it's a really big help. Mm-hmm. Chris, you're talking about a hexagonal gonal architecture <laughs> at, at Laracon. So I also don't know how to pronounce that, and I might just like have to change my talk name. I might I just call it adapters do the other name or something because I don't know. Or I'm gonna say it once and not you know try really hard not to say it the rest of the talk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna talk about that uh, architecture, um, and that's really kind of like decoupling the layers of your app so that like a HTTP request could be handled one way and like a rest call can be handled the way and maybe a command line um, call to your app can be handled um, like all of the same code. You don't have to yeah. rewrite this code to make that work. And, you know, a logical separation of all these different layers from like your domain logic layer to your application kind of like plumbing layer to your outer layers of HTTP and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, which yeah. That's really- interesting because in like, I think I mentioned at Laracon EU, last time that like in the same way that controllers are kind of a um i don't know translation or delivery mechanism for http into your domain layer like in the same way commands are a type of delivery layer from you know your terminal into your domain layer and they're very like controllers and command classes i think are very similar in that way and um like you said they can both kind of share some of the same domain logic yeah, they're they're presentation layer uh, essentially. Like, I think that uh, Q listeners, some Q listeners could could function yep. the same way. So yes, yep. for sure. It's cool when you find out like some of this stuff, even if you don't exactly know what it refers to. Chances are, parts of your app are already implementing that kind of thinking. You just don't know what the name yeah. for it is yet. Yeah, you're probably sharing code across some of those things already. Right. Uh, Sean, did you see this question that um, Grumpy Programmer asked? I did. Um, Grumpy oh. Programmer asked, <laughs> oh, "Wow, what do you, th- uh, what do the Laravel folks think is the most misunderstood part of Laravel aside from the endless facade complaining?" It's a good question. Hmm, I'm actually facades. giving a talk on Laravel in Moscow in mid June. Yeah. And I'm so excited about this because I gave a talk on Laravel once before and I learned from it. And then I watched a colleague of mine give a talk and I learned from it. And I realized that every damn time that somebody shows off Laravel, they're showing syntactic sugar. Like every mm-hmm. time. And I think that what I'm going to focus on is going to be entirely different. It's going to focus on, okay, what does, what differentiates Laravel from other tools? Um, you know, like what's the learning curve type? What what are the kinds of things that that it can do easily? Um, how does that you know relate to other things? And what's the ecosystem like? And all all of these things that somebody would actually need to know or or like to know if they're looking at Laravel rather than, hey, here's how you return a view object. <laughs> mm-hmm. That raises a good question though, and this is something I've heard people on other podcasts talk about. When it comes to Laravel's documentation, what responsibility does Taylor or the Laravel team have to show people the right way to code. And this mm-hmm. like it's it's an interesting conversation because you can you can just say, "Oh, the documentation, you know, we're not here to teach you how to code. I'm going to show you how to use the framework." But people invariably will use whatever they find in the documentation in their projects. So what responsibility does that documentation have to show people, you know, what you might call the right way to code mm-hmm. some of this stuff? Or do you care at all, Taylor? 
Yeah, I think we, I think I do care. And like, it's, it's such a tough thing to do because for instance, um, I know we're kind of ignoring the facade thing in the, in this, but like, say you, we do show facades obviously kind of by default in the documentation. And for a lot of projects, using the facades is no big deal because especially in your controller layer, even for big projects, using the facades in your, in your kind of routing controller layer might not be a big deal. But, um, if we start and like we, we had this with my book where I didn't really talk about facades at all. I talked about more advanced stuff like dependency injection and testability and stuff. And then I think I, we saw a lot of people that kind of, use those concepts in a way that like overcomplicated their own personal projects to such an extent that they were like, they were just kind of blindly applying them, like we said. And so like, I want to show advanced stuff in the documentation, but it's hard to convey like, when do you actually use certain patterns? Like when are certain patterns appropriate? Like we talked about earlier. So like one thing I could do is um like, say I take like the whole, um the whole chapter from my book about dependency injection and just make it part of the documentation um, that's one thing I've thought about. And yeah, just in general, I think we do maybe have a um, responsibility to improve in that area a little bit because I don't know, just the people, as people grow as programmers, they're going to want to move on to more advanced topics and we need to facilitate that. I think the misunderstanding is that maybe we don't care about good programming in general and it's just like facades yolo just do whatever you want and that's just like not the case at all it was just i think you have to know the laravel history a little bit to kind of understand why facades are in there like they are like when you're catering to people that are coming from code igniter and kohana or fuel like we like we were in the beginning um it was a very easy transition in a way to maintain like a very terse syntax um without being like fully on static with, with kind of hiding it behind the service location. And, um, that, that worked out pretty well for them and helping them get moved over. But yeah, now that we have more people like from the symphony ecosystem, like the Zend ecosystem looking at Laravel, it can be kind of confusing, but I don't want people to take it, take it as like, we don't care. We don't know about good architecture at all. I think it's, I think it's hard because like Laravel is great because if you're if you're very new to a framework, Laravel's friendly. And if you know very much what you're doing, Laravel's friendly as well. But there are some communities that would say that's not good. I, I think it is good, but I've seen plenty of people that I, I respect immensely on Twitter say that's not a good thing. So just mm-hmm. because it's easier for them doesn't mean that's that's something you should uh you should strive for or something you should offer to them. Um I don't know. I, I think if like the problem with Symphony is maybe it's it's great, but it's so complicated. And when I was first learning about this stuff way back in the Code Igniter days, I specifically skipped over Symphony because it was overwhelming. You know, in the same way like yeah. Doctrine is overwhelming. If you just want to to use an ORM, you just skip over it. So there is value in in making things easy for people to migrate. And then like you said, when they are ready to learn more about some more advanced ways to structure this stuff, they can do it using the same framework. But plenty of people would say it's, that's not a good way to approach it. Yeah, another misunderstanding about Laravel I've, I've come across quite a bit that's not related to facades at all is that we should not 
use frameworks and, uh, or Laravel or any framework, and we should try to like glue the best composer packages together. And I think uh, I talked about this at a user group earlier this week or last week, where that's basically what Laravel is. Like we we use 26 community packages and we glue them all together in a way that's coherent and makes sense, and you know bootstrap the configuration of everything and all that. So I think uh, some people misunderstand that like Laravel is what the, what you're saying you want right there. Like if you want all the best composer stuff, that's basically what we've tried to do is glue together monologue, Swift Mailer, um, some of the Symphony HTTP stuff, of course PHP unit, Mockery, Carbon, and we kind of try to tie all that together in one cohesive framework, and then we add like our own layer of packages on the top um, for stuff that we like better. We feel that there's not really um, a comparable alternative. So like with Eloquent, you know, there's not really a comparable active record ORM, even though there is um, a comparative data mapper ORM. And there's uh, with Blade, you know, it's like a it's it looks similar to something like Twig in a way, but it's actually very different under the hood in the sense that it's like basically one file that just compiles um, some regular expressions. So, yeah, and, and that's big. One big misunderstanding is that Laravel is a lot more uh, of an eclectic framework than people realize, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, especially for the no framework people, because, I mean, I feel like the no framework crowd kind of picks a base router or mm-hmm. micro framework and then just builds on top of that, um, which is sort of just what Laravel does. You know, it's all about yeah. service providers acting in Congress and, and making an app out of it. Yeah, like I would think Laravel would be the no framework person's dream, as ironic as that sounds, because it is so kind of, it is so community based and has so many, I mean, a few dozen community packages that are maintained by, you know, various community members that I really have nothing to do with. I think these folks don't know that, though. I mean, that's kind of the trend. Like people have these really weirdly strong opinions about Laravel, and they probably haven't used it beyond scanning through the documentation, yet somehow... They're entitled to this like really almost mean uh, opinion of Laravel and its community, and I don't know where it comes from. Like I really don't get it. I, like, I have a good go idea ahead. where it comes from. It feels like um, everybody kind of got burnt a little bit, or they felt like they got burnt. They felt like they were kind of held back by PHP in the past, and and this is just my opinion, but um, I I, f- I feel like I can see it a little bit in myself, and so you know now that we are moving forward and, and kind of realize that. Okay, with with new PHP, suddenly the world's our oyster, more or less. Um, you you can have a very strong opinion on where you came from versus where you're going, and where you came from is tied to all these negative feelings uh, that you had from being there, right? And so, if you look at something, and you you know, if if it has the general idea, or if it has if it's tied to the idea of being a bridge. Which I think for a long time Laravel was kind of thought of as being a bridge from the old generation to the new. Mm-hmm. Then I think that absorbs some of the negative connotation from the old world and and makes it so it's almost like yeah it doesn't quite belong to the new world. It's just kind of stuck in between places. So I think that's that's where the perception lies in my mind. Yeah, that makes sense. One thing I've thought about is like in the Laravel documentation on the introduction, we have like a question or kind of a, a, a fork in the road where you say, I'm interested, I'm new to PHP and frameworks. 
or I, I'm interested in learning, you know, the basics and then a, a, like a path that's like I'm uh, I want to learn more about um, proper architecture on Laravel. I want to learn more how to build testable apps. But then at the same time, it's like, well, shouldn't you teach new people the right stuff from the very beginning? You know, so it's kind of like a thing. It's so hard to get like the perfect balance of making it very accessible for beginners and at the same time not scaring away uh, more advanced programmers with um, like like you said like the perception that we've kind of rolled in some of the old uh, stuff that you've been burned by in the past I, I'd like to see a good example of somebody really just showing people the <laughs> right way or, or not the right way <laughs> Showing that's the people thing. There is the no right way. yeah yeah that, that that's what I'm saying like showing people how to do stuff at their level and to, how to make it connect to people who are not there, um mm-hmm. and and the reason that everybody says things well things should be done this way etc but there's not really any seriously great examples of just making people skip, um you know the the knowledge requirements to get there. So I, I think that there's a lot of targets when you have education. There's a lot of targets in general, and it's not it's not reasonable to continue to target the furthest um, engineering or, or a specific kind of engineering that you feel is at the apex of what you can comprehend at this moment. Um, it, it makes sense to target all kinds of stages and to help people through those stages. I think that that's kind of you know what the masses of the internet are there for. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard because I don't I don't think you see a lot of that kind of medium or medium low skill level stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if you if you wrote a blog post right now that was like, here's how to do this if you're sort of a beginner, and you don't you're get, you're gonna get like flamed for not um, like doing it how you know that the, the the extent that you could be doing it, you know what I mean? Like the, you're not using all of your architectural tools. So yeah, it's like this weird liability <laughs> where, that's like, if you create something stupid, people are gonna be like, "Oh, that's stupid." It's people. wrong. It's 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 a it's a mixture of there's like the imposter syndrome, um, which you know makes you feel like you never quite are caught up with other people, you know, and then there's the idea that you should you know feel bad for not living up to some imagined potential or ideal and the way that these things interact with each other, it's really not particularly healthy. I think. Yeah. Uh, for 4.2, I think I just want to do a better job of showing both approaches in the documentation, like show the facade and then do uh, make more examples showing how you would do it via injection and stuff like that. So we kind of can cover both bases. Sweet. Jesse O'Brien asks us to make an argument about why PHP should not become Java. <laughs> if he's referring Gosh. to hack and some of that stuff. Uh, I don't know exactly. I think I think what he's trying to say is um, everybody's really focused on doing a lot of object-oriented design, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think he's a little bit concerned that people are going to think that, you know, d- doing a lot of high-level or, you know, big design up front and stuff like that it's it's when it's not necessarily the right thing to do, I guess. I think he's a little bit concerned about that because, you know, with PHP, it's it's, it's special. It's its own templating language. It's, it's procedural, and then we can go and do as much freaking object-oriented design as we could want, basically, because the language supports it all now. So. Right. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, it does support it, but it doesn't force it on you either. So it's not Java in that sense. Right. So, 
Maybe he's wondering, like, how, how can is the culture going, becoming like Java and not like PHP, not necessarily the language itself. Good. Is it? Is the culture like that? I don't know. Not, I mean, not the wider culture, obviously, but like the, um, I don't know, the inner circle of PHP uh, respected developers is, I, w- I wouldn't say they're becoming more like, they're becoming Java, but they're just talking more about um, like strongly typed and domain-driven design principles. Yeah. I mean, for all of us talking about that, there's thousands and thousands of people who don't know about it, don't care about it, don't need it, um, yeah. or haven't learned about it yet. I mean, let's imagine that the majority of PHP developers are making WordPress sites right now. You know, right. that's kind of the reality is it's a, it's a small core of us that are very interested in some of these higher level stuff like DDD. And it's fun. You read these books and they're all written in Java. So it makes it. Yeah, right. I feel like do you guys ever feel like I'm reading these books and I'm always just kind of translating it into a language that I use more because like, right. I, I didn't grow up using Java. So like it, it's close, but it's always just a little bit enough. If you don't know the the language very well, you're always trying to like in your mind translate it to something you understand a little bit better, and it doesn't always move over perfectly. Or the same with if you're reading like a C sharp book or Ruby. But I like I like the Java books. I like the books that mention Java because PHP is kind of close enough. So like if you see an interface in Java, there is an interface in PHP, whereas you don't have that in Python. Right. So, okay, yeah. reading that, that's really confusing. I think if you know PHP and I think you could, you could be able to read C Sharp or Java. I mean, if, if you, if you do object oriented stuff in PHP, it, it's, it's more or less the same. There, there's other features that those other languages can have, but you can either infer or reference those quickly enough. So like when I'm reading Ruby or, you know, I, I, I really like C Sharp. So basically anything, it all just looks the same to me until you get into something lispy. Yeah, and that really, I mean, to to get back to Jesse's, to and try to answer Jesse's question, I think that was really one of the goals of facades was, um, if we do full dependency injection down to the controller level, like required and forced, it's going to feel very very different than the PHP you might be used to, and so like it was a way to kind of bridge the gap between those two things and create some kind of middle ground which people seem to either love or hate really but yeah i don't know i understand like the concern but i think it's like a damned if you know. do damned if you don't like when yeah developers were doing more like procedural stuff you know we got mocked php devs are mocked more than maybe any kind of developer there is you know you're considered a toy developer and you don't know what you're doing and now people are really talking about architecture and object-oriented design and then suddenly that's you know getting away from the spirit of php so you can't win. Yeah, it's, it's also, it's what happens when you ca- categorize people. So there's not PHP developers. There's different people doing different things, you know, with different experience levels or whatever. And I think you just got to do what's interesting to you and what you feel is right for whatever situation you're in. And certain people who are making certain types of stuff, what's right to them and what is fun to them to study is, is inevitably going to be different than uh, people who, you know, turn out a lot of stuff like, you know, WordPress apps or CMS stuff or, you know, plugins, that kind of thing. Yeah. And the goal of, I mean, the, our goal is to obviously deliver value to your customers or, or whatever. That's your primary goal and to make money for yourself, I assume. And then, uh, 
and then also, but in terms of programming, like the goal is to have something maintainable and something that you don't want to pull your hair out um, down the line. And however you get there, if it's not exactly what Jeffrey Way or Sean McCool is doing, as long as it's still maintainable for you and you can still test it or whatever, then you pretty much reach your goal. And you, I don't think you should necessarily feel bad if your code doesn't look exactly like a certain example on the Internet, as long as you still kind of reach, have reached your goals for your own personal project and you can maintain it going forward. I think there's definitely, um, like, people out there who do things really super simply and they're of high value. Uh, they, you know, don't cost as much. And, uh, are a perfect fit, you know, for their, their clients. And that, that can be a better situation. I think the developer themselves, they require stimulation. Yeah. Excuse me. They require stimulation. So putting a certain type of developer on a certain task is almost asking to have a bad budget, <laughs> depending on the situation. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about the difference between engineering and over engineering, Taylor? Yeah, I think that'd be a good discussion because anything, it it kind of works like anything engineered is going to be criticized by someone as being over engineered. <laughs> that is so true. You know, <laughs> no matter where you are on the scale, like there are people who say Laravel's over engineered, and there are people who say it's under engineered. You know, it's it's so it's such a crazy discussion. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I think getting back to the point of just d discovering like a design pattern or an architectural concept and immediately applying it wherever you can. Um, I don't really know if people actually do that. They just apply it all over the place, like something they've learned. <laughs> people claim that happens, but I haven't actually seen it. But, um, you know, there is, a, there is a case for saying over-engineering is, is when you just learn a concept and you apply it somewhere. Um, I mean, and that's kind of why I love side projects, even if they never see the light of day. That that experience of coding in a side project kind of teaches you the pitfalls. Yeah. Can we name something over-engineered? Like, do you know, do we know a project that we could all say definitely is over-engineered? Symphony? Just kidding. I can't decide. I, I, I think under-engineering is a lot easier to identify. Yeah. See, I don't know if Symphony's over-engineered or it just doesn't have a obvious API. <laughs> Which are kind of two two different things, you know what I mean? It might not be over engineered, but the API might just not be intuitive. Yeah, that goes back to our point. Like Symphony never made sense to me until I learned all these architectural concepts, and now when I look at the docs or see examples of Symphony, like I have an idea of what's going on, and like you know what me what these methods mean that are just kind of all over the place, and why the controller isn't just directly like returning a view after getting the data and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And maybe they pride themselves on that, you know, that the skill level is naturally going to be higher with a Symphony developer than CodeIgniter or, or maybe even Laravel. But that doesn't, I don't know, is that a good thing? Well, I think sometimes it can be um, just because, you know, it's I get tired of having to defend myself so heavily or, or having people attack me uh, because if I say something maybe somewhere, and this happens to me, people just like, you're just wasting your time. You're just, what are you doing, you know? it. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm learning, and I feel like this is a, a solution to a problem I've had, so I guess it doesn't feel so worthless to me. <laughs> yeah, it's such a personal thing, you know. If the person if the person is happy with what they're doing and they're judging it to be of value, then who am I to say, like, they're messing up their own stuff? I don't know. 
Under-engineered would definitely be like Coding Nighter, I would say. It was under-engineered in the sense that it was literally impossible to write well-engineered applications on, like it just was, Yeah, and even though it was cool for the time. I didn't, um, I didn't realize how under-engineered it was when I was in the thick of coding there to programming because there was nothing. Yeah, we had no way to know. Prove. Well, I mean, think that was like six years ago, you know? Yeah. Like, think how much better we are as developers than we were in 2008, maybe okay. 2009. Yeah. yeah. And even how much better PHP is as a language now. Yeah, that, that's my whole mindset, mindset of people who really, you know, those people that they don't just not like PHP, they loathe it, you know, and they, they need to write these blog posts and, and every moment they have, they, they want to dispute PHP. And my view is like, okay, you, they probably used it with PHP 4, you know, back when they were an amateur. Then they switched over to something else, maybe like Ruby or Python, and naturally they are better developers. So suddenly they look back on everything they did during the PHP 4 days as uh, a reflection of how PHP is. And it's like, no, PHP is advanced just as much as you have, and you are a significantly better developer than you were back then. So, yeah, I think people, it, it gets treated a little unfairly. I think that um, maybe PHP's capabilities as a language have outgrown some of the communities. Um, you know, I think that the communities have to play catch up now, and and to be able to exploit the language, the the capabilities of the language. And uh, I have a friend who's named Arian, and he is a computer science major, and he recently did this PHP project with CodeNighter, and so. He has been nonstop IMing me with like curse words and just just going nuts on on this stuff. And I've realized a few things about PHP from this. Um, one, you know how PHP is a very evolutionary thing. It started as one thing, and over time, it's changed and and becoming something different. Um, this guy, he's programmed with a lot of languages, and he understands a lot of um, you know advanced concepts, concepts that most programmers don't understand because he's in a computer science degree. And he's, uh, he, he doesn't, there's no room for this PHP culture, this development of over time to, in, in his perspective. He works with all these languages that are, you know, designed at one time to do one thing, you know. Um, it, it's, I think PHP doesn't directly fit into that mold. Yeah, that's interesting. I've never thought about that either, that it is, it does have a very different language evolutionary track than most other languages. He also has to use PHP 5.1, and I make fun of him every time. I'm like, oh, how's gosh. that? I would, I would quit programming. I know. I just, I just <laughs> wouldn't even bother. I yeah, would go to the sure. Microsoft stack or something. Yeah, I'm, I'd be done. <laughs> it's funny because when you read some of these articles, like, um, what was the, the big one? Is Fractal of Bad Design? Is that what it was called? Yeah. The big yeah. popular one. And you read through so many of them, and some are valid, but in reality, like, do any of those affect your daily programming? No. You know, even like the the stupid stuff like um, the argument lists, the argument orders are reversed. Well, they do follow a, a certain pattern, but I, even, I can understand people are confused by that. But if anyone worth their salt is probably using some kind of abstraction, like in Laravel, you're probably not using those functions. You're using some kind of wrapper class where it's completely a non-issue. So a lot of that stuff just doesn't affect your average PHP developer, I wouldn't think, unless I'm missing something. Well, here's the thing. Um, the... PHP quirks are negative for a fact. I mean, they you have to learn the quirks, and once you do, then you're fine. 
but that is something that you have to learn. So if you have like a more, I don't know, I don't know, com- pure language maybe, something more like, uh, I don't know, Scala or Go or, um, you know, Ruby, then things are a little bit more intuitive because the, the language constructs, it, it all kind of makes sense. But with PHP, you do have to know quirks. It's like the, the experience of the developer matters uh, a little bit more. Their, their experience with the language specifically, I think. Yeah, maybe. A lot of people talk about like, oh, go ahead, Chris. Uh, I was just saying I can see it. Um, Python and Ruby both have a spec, so it makes sense that they'd have some more consistency. Um, whereas, you know, everyone has always said PHP doesn't have a spec, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is actually interesting to see what happens with Hack and HHVM in general to see if they come up with a spec. Yeah. But in spite of that, do any of you feel less efficient as developers because of some of these little quirks? Well, I know PHP. I feel I feel fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it doesn't affect your programming. Right. And I was learning programming um, with PHP when I started, so I had no idea that PHP had these quirks. That was just programming to me. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know the difference, so it didn't even matter. <laughs> <laughs> Having to go to PHP.net all the time, you know, which is just what I still do. That's that different. <laughs> you know, some people talk about, like, should PHP 6 or PHP 7 be a breaking change where they, they just write all of these wrongs that they did before. And it, it's an interesting conversation, but then you see kind of what happened with Python, and it's like, is that is that a road we want to go down as a community where you have these two very different... Uh, sections of PHP. I think even to this day, Python 3 users do not surpass Python 2. I could be wrong about that, but I think I heard that. You know, it's, that's pretty crazy. From what I know. Yeah. How does that relate to PHP 5.5 and PHP 5.2? Or, or, you know what I'm saying? I'm. It doesn't. It's I'm just, talking about just a... in the future, would it make sense to have a breaking, like a PHP 7, where they fix all of these things that people complain about? Would that ever makes sense. And well, probably dancers. With no. semantic versioning, though, wouldn't uh, the next version up be an ideal opportunity to break some old API stuff? Maybe, but would that be a smart choice when you think about, you know... Um, it probably... I don't know. It probably comes down to a case-by-case case basis, right? So let's look at these functions or something like that. They're less used. Uh, they're kind of out of style a little bit more. Let's replace them with an improved something or another. Um, I think I think it has to be a case-by-case case basis, and you have to really think about it, each individual um, thing. That's true. And I mean, PHP has thing, been doing that. Just one thing that would be cool would be um, there was a RFC about this was the thing to turn, basically do away with errors and only have exceptions. That was kind of a cool thing, and they had like, I can't remember, they had some kind of fatal exception or whatever, but... That's some. You could probably do some incremental stuff like that. Um, that would make a pretty big difference. I'd like to see that. Make it more Java. <laughs> I actually have no idea. Is that what Java does too? Is that probably. I don't know. I'm not a Java dev. I made like one Android app once. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I like both. I, I like the more. Uh, I like some of the stuff that Hack does with the return types and, and that stuff, but I also like, I mean, I like the dynamic properties of PHP as well, so I hope they uh, continue to add, you know, dynamic type features. 
I think I agree with Sean. Uh, during the last podcast, Sean, you were kind of talking about how it's something it's something interesting, but maybe not something for you to worry about right now. And I kind of agree with that. Like in many ways, I'm a big early adopter. You know, uh, I love playing with new stuff. But at the same time, there's a point when you have to you have to be very careful about all of this new stuff that you take in because there's only so many hours in a day. So I, that's kind of how I feel about Hack Two right now. Like. I'm very intrigued by it, but um, I'm not ready to invest too much time just yet into it. So, um, is everybody here using PHP Storm? <laughs> yeah. Heck no. <laughs> you tried it and you didn't like it? Um, I did try your configuration, which I will admit um, looked pretty good. Like, it was the best configuration you know, I had tried. What do you um, not like about it? Gosh, I can't remember now. Um, I don't... Uh, I don't necessarily like all the like refactoring bubbles always popping up and different things that prompts me to do and all that. Like I kind of prefer just like the plain editor. I don't know. I need to try it again since y'all constantly guilt trip me about it. But I mean, remember you can remove everything. Like if you wanted to make it look like Vim, you could make it look like Vim. I, I seriously spent like three or four weeks removing features. Yeah, yeah I do too. I need to okay. This is what I'll do. I'll, I'll try Sean's configuration again, and then like I'll make a list of things that you know, concrete things that I want that's different, or that I don't like, and then maybe I can get somewhere. But I don't know why am I doing this. I guess it lets me. Uh, it has a few convenience things, I guess, like the namespace stuff and all that. Yeah, the the auto importing namespaces is so nice. Like especially some of those like Symphony classes that you want to inject. Or it's like, I don't know what the full path oh to this gosh. is. You just type the class name. It will immediately uh, do a use declaration at the top, and you're done. You don't even have to think oh about my it. Goodness. I, I just had like this flashback to before I before I used PHP Swarm and having <laughs> to type out those namespaces out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Y'all are making me feel bad about I, it. I have so this have live template where I do underscore C and hit tab, and it creates my constructor. And then I type the stuff I want injected. Then I hit just alt, enter. Fields. And I tell it to initialize those fields, yeah. and then all of my con injection is done. That's and the it, best feeling ever. It's just so wonderful. For me, the big one was, like, think of it from my perspective. I left Vim for PHP Storm, so I was completely <laughs> the other direction. I was, I still love Vim. I try to use kind of the Vim philosophy as much as possible in PHP Storm. But for me, the big thing that made me switch was uh, the refactoring capabilities. Like, I don't know how, how you do some of this stuff. Just using your typical editor, or obviously you can do it, but it's so time-consuming to the point that I think many times you don't bother with that refactor. Even if it's something as simple as, oh, this variable name would be a little more readable yeah. if I changed it. Where, well, in that case, it's like, well, either use multiple cursors, but then what if it's you know, referenced elsewhere? It's just a little too time-consuming where maybe you won't do that refactor. Or even things like extract method or extract interface. That stuff really slows you down where I bet most people don't bother with the refactor, even though they should. So that's why I switched. I think that having the automated tools reduces human error. And so I can save the time that you're talking about, Jeffrey, but also um, I have a good idea that I'm not screwing up. And there, there are times, because PHP is such a like, string-oriented language, there are times when something you know may go weird or something, but I hit just undo, and it undoes the refactor across, like, 30 classes or whatever. Yeah. And just the fact that, you know, I feel really confident that I can do a massive refactor that affects, you know, dozens of classes uh, with a single command and then go run my tests and it's all perfect. It just, uh, that's something that these just 
text editors just aren't going to give me. And yeah. it, it's become such a big part of my workflow that I can't even imagine giving it up anymore. No, I agree. And what's nice is those refactors are safe. Like they, they're not going to go wrong. If something will potentially go wrong, it's not going to allow you to do the refactor. So you can do that stuff with complete uh, abandon that it's, that nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah, it depends on your options though. If you go like during the refactor to change the checkboxes, you can abs- you can absolutely refactor stuff in text strings that were in like vendor folders or something. <laughs> um, I submitted a feature request uh, to JetBrains about being able to exclude. Uh, certain folders from your quick find and stuff like that uh, without also keeping it from indexing those files. And uh, that's a in-progress feature, so I'm really looking forward to that. You guys are totally working for JetBrains. You're like on the payroll. <laughs> it's just that every time I submit a bug, every time I submit a feature, either they say, you know, this is this is not valid and here's why, and it's convincing, or they just do it. And then I download the next version and the bug's fixed. Yeah, they're really good about that stuff. I'm looking forward. There's supposed to be like an extract class, which I'm looking forward to. What would um, that do? It would basically, if you just have some bit of logic where you're like, oh, this should actually be its own object, you could just extract and create that class automatically. They're adding that finally? Yeah, it, it's it's in. That's some resharper stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, PHP Storm's really getting close to the resharper stuff. Hmm. So, so it's let me exciting. ask you a question. I've run into this thing where I've moved a folder and that folder has a bunch of classes in it to a different part because like a different folder right because i wanted to change the namespace i didn't like where i put something that refactoring didn't work for me like it didn't change files one at a time yeah it's not cool i want to be able to move a namespace like move everything in a namespace to another namespace yeah um but that refactoring doesn't exist but it doesn't you know there's only so much you can ask for them from them yeah. at the moment, but I would love to have that, absolutely. That, that so far is my most common refactoring. <laughs> I, I don't know what that says about me as a developer. But <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, PHP Storm written in Java, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you that's know, why it it's so hard slow to theme. theme. No, yeah, it's, it's first. The that's first because you're running time. a solid state drive, Jeffrey. Yep. Yeah, maybe Try so. running a hard drive. You know what's weird, though? It's like we've been talking about slow IDEs for 10 years, and it's like no matter how much better the computers get, the IDE is always equally slow, you know? like you would think we get to (laughs) (laughs) Visual Studio is actually pretty good. That's kind of like my theory that um, Apple is slowing down your CPU and your iPhone, like, over time. It's, like, actually hard-coded into the, I don't know, whatever it is. Man, I think that's true. I, like, it's probably <laughs> not true, but do you ever notice how right when a new iPhone comes out, yeah. it's like clockwork. Your phone either stops working or just yeah, slows it's to a halt. definitely fault. true. They know They're doing it. It, it. Yeah, from a behaviorist point of view, it's it, it's something I identified a long time ago, and that's, I mean, no politics, whatever. I'm That's why I don't buy Apple anymore, because it just feels like it's not the value. You know, it's not like a long-term value to me. But um, I, I did notice that they release updated versions of their operating system that are more and more uh, resource-hungry. So it's like they specifically are targeting how far can we take this, like, super resource-hungry operating system at a current at a specific time, and then they have a schedule. So let's bring up the requirements, bring up the requirements, bring up the requirements, and then just fill those up, you know what I'm saying? I, I don't think they're just saying, really, let's... 
slow everything down and let's just <laughs> fill everything up. I just think that they're, uh, it's a different approach on how to, uh, add features to a, uh, you know, a limited resource. Uh, and as the resource grows with new feature, with new versions of hardware, then they want everything to keep going forward. But if you're like me and have an iPad one, it can't, it can't be used for anything anymore. Hmm. Yeah. My theory is a lot more like tinfoil hat-ish, I think. <laughs> I think they're like stamping. When you get an iPhone, there's some date internally for when you get it. And as you get further from that date, they're just like tossing out more and more CPU cycles somehow. <laughs> so like once you're a year away, maybe they're throwing out like a third of all CPU cycles are just totally no ops. And then your phone's like, I don't know, a third slower. That's my theory. I like it. <laughs> Evidence suggests. <laughs> oh, this is not going to go over well when people listen to this. You need to collect money from JetBrains to get uh, the sponsored. Well, yeah. I'm actually, I'm actually trying to get them sponsored later, Con. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they can't you. sponsor Laracon if they don't have blade support. That needs to come <laughs> it, it, first. It's, literally, it's literally in progress, that, yeah. that task. Nice. Hopefully. It's been in progress for a while. Yeah, it's going to come out for eight's final off. I love Blade. Speaking of Blade, there's a new Blade feature. Did you all see that? It Is was that the, uh, the stack push thing. No, how's that work? It's kind of a sh- it's kind of a shortcut. It was already possible. It's kind of a shortcut for the append section, but basically you can say like in your layout file, you might have like stack JavaScript and then in various sub layouts, if you have sub layouts, you could do push JavaScript and just like keep injecting content and each push will just append onto that stack. So it's kind of cool if you're appending stuff into a section and you um, don't, it's kind of an intuitive syntax thing. So you don't have to keep doing like at parent. Yeah, and like at append and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, because I use Blade pretty extensively in this big uh, CMS I have to manage, or I, I get to manage, and um, it's really like I, at first, you know, I just you kind of use Blade, kind of okay. I'm cleaning up my syntax a little bit, but the needs of this app all of a sudden I have a a complicated templating layer now, but it works great. It's just uh, templating. Mm-hmm. I love Blade. Speaking I of this new stuff, like Taylor, do you think you might create a Laravel.com blog? I saw you maybe yeah, hinting at need, that on Twitter. We need something. I need some way. Like today, we had um, a security release to fix something, and it, it was a breaking change. Unfortunately, I need a, way, a better way than Twitter to communicate with um, everyone. You know, a lot of people follow on Twitter, obviously, but there are a, a decent number of people that don't, and that are always kind of uh, blindsided by different things. Like even when, even things that you think would be very obvious, like when 4.1 came out, there were people that like didn't know that was coming at all, you know? And so even though it had been hyped on social media a lot, so yeah, we need a better way to get the word out and stuff and some kind of, I don't know what that is, some kind of mail thing or blog or, or what. Yeah. Even a little mailing list would be fine with me. Obviously maybe a blog would be better overall, but I'd love to get little email notifications about this stuff. So I don't know the cheapest way to do that. That's a, it's not a little email list. It would be a pretty big email list. Yeah. For something so. like MailChimp, once you get over 2,000 subscribers, I think, it's just insanely expensive. Like, yeah. like let's say... Exactly. Is, say go ahead. There's a, there's a gap in SendGrid, or I'm sorry, in MailChimp, 
where like you you get like a thousand and in this range you just pay the same per month but after that it goes up like every like few hundred people another like 10 bucks a month or something like that like it starts scaling up really bad yeah mailchimp is totally an awesome service and sponsoring lyricon though <laughs> so it would definitely be i mean like i would i would love to use it but for an open source project um you know 250 dollars a month is going to be hard so yeah that's so there is um, this thing called sendy sendy.co.co um that's like a self-install and it uses amazon scs so basically you, huh. you buy this thing once and then you just pop it on you know DigitalOcean or something like that and and use it, and it uses Amazon's API, so it just you know sends bulk email through that. That sounds kind of cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, there's also a responsibility. I think I think developers have a responsibility to at least kind of follow the accounts in some way. Like Twitter's a a, a great. It's funny because I talk to people all the time who make fun of like Twitter. And they're like, oh, the people who Twitter. I'm like, are you joking? Because Developers? Yeah, I realize that software oh developers are like the perfect demographic for Twitter. Like it's, yeah. if you're if you're like an academic or something, then I can I can kind of understand where they're coming from, and most of these people are. Um, but it's it's weird to tell people that yeah, but like there are whole sectors, whole industries in which this kind of thing is exactly ideal. I think Twitter is just a perfect fit. Twitter is awesome. I mean, Twitter is the only way I keep up on all this stuff. Yeah. Go ahead. Before I was a dev, though, I could totally relate uh, relate to that. Because, like, when I was um, fresh out of college or whatever and was just brand new developer, Twitter made no sense to me at all. But now it's, like, the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's always been jarring for me, uh, talking to friends who are just completely outside of the tech industry. Um their concept of Twitter is so different from mine. They're just like, why do you use Twitter? What is it? Why would I be on this ever? They think well, you're talking about your lunch it. or something. What do they talk about? <laughs> yeah, and exactly. I think maybe they do just talk about what they ate for lunch. That's always the example every- they give me. <laughs> Nobody cares what you're having for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> My 3,600 followers suggest otherwise. <laughs> it's hard to have, explain too. Like, I mean, I basically just say every bit of news I get comes through Twitter. Like, it's it's everything. It's like my whole internet social experience. Right. It's hard to explain to people. Like, I, I was talking to my mom a couple months ago about this, and she's like, "What do you do?" And I was like, "Oh, if, if some interesting article comes up, I'll kind of do a pay it forward, forward it on to the community." And she would say, "Well, why would you do that though? Why do you care?" And it's hard to answer that question. And it's like, "Oh, it's just kind of a." I don't know. Like, I don't know why I do it. It's just something everybody does and then everyone benefits from. But I can understand somebody a little older, a little more disconnected from that, not getting it, you know, not understanding why we would participate at all. I think if you have this resource, which you derive massive value from, it only makes sense to want to contribute as well. Yeah. Second in line to the what do you use Twitter for question for me is, now, do you have a copyright on that? That's like... Every person I meet asks me that about Laravel, you know, and all that. The open source thing is just mind-boggling to people outside of tech. It's mind-boggling to me a little bit, honestly. It is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's a huge mistake. How much honestly. time do I spend? Like, we're uh, Mitchell and I are about to release this uh, this database backup manager package, right? And it's framework agnostic, but it has integrations for Laravel, and basically. It it has this like, hey Taylor, have you ever messed with the Symphony component uh, dialogue stuff? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, we have this thing where you can say, I want to restore a database. Uh, so if, in my, if I'm in my local development, I can say, let me restore a database backup from production. Uh, so I'll say, you know, PHP, Artisan, DB Restore, or whatever, I don't know the command, Mitchell wrote it. And it'll basically say, from where do you want to restore? And I'll say S3, and it'll be like, um, here's the backups, which one do you want? And you can start typing and do like autocomplete, like tab autocomplete on the file name. It's pretty crazy. And then uh, you can just say, okay, where do you want to re- restore it to? And it choose a database connection. Uh, like I'll, I'll, be, I'll usually have one called development or something. And then it'll load in that database. And I can just like use my local environment as if it's that production environment, maybe to reproduce a bug or just have an updated copy of the data from production. I don't know why I started Very talking cool. about that. No, it's cool. I'm super in love with this package because we're trying really hard to like really kind of nail it. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, the open source thing is interesting when it's like, well, why do you participate in this? You don't get paid. And I don't know. I don't know how you guys answer that. It's like, well, I don't know. I don't know. It was it, a big it, mistake. That's the whole thing. I'd <laughs> rather not get paid, frankly. Like, I'd rather not have to spend any money. But since I do, whatever. But I ideally, mean, is it just a vanity thing? Is it I love this project so much, so to have my name in some way associated with it is enough? Well, is let's say you wanted to build something to? and you wanted to put all the polish in it of a production release, what would you do in order to accomplish that? Yeah. I don't know. And a lot of a lot of open source projects don't they don't start as with the goal of being what they are now, you know. So like Laravel, I mean I don't know. I can't decide if the goal always was like total domination or not, but to a certain extent, uh, it was to just have something for me, you know, and then as it grew and it was already open source, like, because it was like, well, no, probably no one will use this. So what the heck? I'll, if, if I don't put it out there, definitely no one's going to use it. So then I just had to put it out and then it grew and grew and grew. And I don't know, maybe that's how open source stuff starts. But still, I could imagine my grandparents asking you, all right, how many hours have you put into this? And you're not necessarily making anything directly from it, so why are you doing this again? And it's yeah. hard to answer that question. That's because know? we're to- it's totally stupid. I don't <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. I should have charged like a dollar or two, and you know, I'd know. be like I at think, the ball dish right now. I think the side, this actually gets really close to why we use Twitter, too, because like, it's kind of like the side benefits of becoming – known in a community um, and getting to meet new people through that and that kind of thing. I mean, that's like kind of like career-wise, that's really good. Yep. I just kind of, I tell people that I just have faith in the sense that if Laravel is very successful, I shall also be very successful. Like, that's just like my faith trust that hopefully <laughs> it will all work out in the end, you know. In Laravel, we trust. <laughs> also, you could say something easily like, my actual capability is directly related to my options, and you don't get that kind of capability from not making stuff. Right. <laughs> That's true. But then you have to wonder about the people who submit pull requests that fix spacing. So what is the reasoning behind that? We know That's what the reasoning totally behind different. that is. <laughs> the second the second highest Laravel contributor right now is Graham Campbell, and I think at least probably 50% of his pull requests are spacing. <laughs> And he's the second highest behind me. You know, some projects actually have bans on that. I was reading about that the other day. Uh, one of my Twitter it. friends, he bans it. 
I don't mind it too much. The only one thing I do mind is that like sometimes he will send, which I'm I'm grateful for his pull request, but sometimes the file, the amount of changes or files are so large, yeah, it bogs down GitHub, and like I have to check every file just in case he made he's like trying to sabotage the project. No offense, but I just have to check every right. file. Um, and it, I mean it, it bogs down like the whole browser and stuff. It's kind of a pain, but yeah. It's true, though. Uh, when people change large amounts of files on one of my uh, projects, uh. I just can't, I can't like bring it in. Um, it, it comes down also to your tests and how good those are. But still, if I'm not going to read every single change, and if if it's like 160 changes or something, I don't know. There becomes a point to where I just can't invest myself to uh, to the point to bring this in for no, for what benefit. Especially, like, you have to be able to come back to this code on your own and immediately recognize it, you know? And now if you're dealing with somebody who changed all these files, you just – it's not your code anymore. You can't even recognize it. So that's, I guarantee I this backup package will not have any submerged pull requests for style because we put our foot down and we said, <laughs> I'm sorry. We are not conforming to this. We are doing this, and this is specific, and everything is exactly that way. So people are going to want to – Make it all figgy, and it's just not going to happen. So I'm curious about this database restore package because, like, <clears throat> I could do something like this. I think where I want to say I want to do like a nightly transfer of some of prod database to development database. Is that something like it would be used for? Or? Yeah, well, uh, Frank DeYonga made this uh, package called Fly System, and it's mm-hmm. an abstraction for like seven different types of storage. So you can. Um, read and write files with the same API for Dropbox, S3, FTP, SFTP, Rackspace Cloud, WebDAV, all these different drivers. And so we took that and built a backup, database backup system on top of it. Mm-hmm. So um, basically it's it's super driver-based, super extendable. So right now we support MySQL and PostgreSQL. And uh, you can make a backup and store it away to one of these, you know, storage, whatever, whatever you have configured. And then from another machine, you could just say, okay, pull that down and import it into my database uh, locally. So um, the reason that we kind of started to build this was because I have these developers who work uh, on my projects, but every once in a while they want a really up-to-date copy of the database from production. Mm-hmm. And it's just easier to give them last night's backup off of S3 and automate it with this thing. Yeah, that's cool. I'm I'm really proud of it, honestly. Um, Mitchell and I worked really hard on it, and it it has all these things, like you have commands like transfer file, dump database, restore database, and then you have procedures, which are sequences of commands, and then that's basically it. Everything's just driver-based and super extendable. So um, I'm hoping we get a lot of pull requests and uh, really fill it out, because I think... Honestly, I think that uh, there's nothing else quite like it out there, and if there was, I would very happily use it. You need to put it on that uh, packages.io developer marketplace for composer packages that's coming out. So you can sell composer packages? Packages Packages.io, yeah, it says it's coming out in 76 days. There's a a countdown timer. Oh, dude, I hope I wasn't supposed to, like, not reveal this. (laughs) If so, I'm just building hype. I mean, I don't... So that's kind of yeah. crazy. Like if you think about like the the consequences of having a package marketplace. Yep. Packages.io. 
We might have an explosion of amazing packages soon. Make sure yeah, some I mean, people aren't happy about it. <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to pay for anything, and I get it. Um, open source is perfect. Um, commercial stuff is cool, too. Yeah, I'll pay for open source. I mean, yeah. It's just hard. I mean, if you think about the individual, so ideally, we just write great software and everybody has it for free. That's obviously the best overall situation. But it, what if somebody can make a great package, but they can only swing it if they could sell it? So, I mean, yeah. are, would you rather not have that package or, or what? I mean, it, again, it always comes down to the context of the individual. And, and people um, always judge these kind of things from their own personal situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just... It, it's excluding all of the other people for which this is really a great situation. Uh, the, the developer might have a chance to build uh, really great tools. Other people have a chance to di- digest these tools. I don't know. I just think that if you ever see something for sale, there, there are situations where some things are kind of really creepy, like electronic arts creepy. And then... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, a nice little zing there. <laughs> but, you know, you, I think that the... You have to just think that somebody made this. You don't know what their situation is, and, and maybe just kind of step out of the ring instead of fighting over it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, managed. Go ahead, Taylor. I think most people are willing to pay for software. Probably, I think it's just a very vocal minority that are, um, you know, very vocally against it. But I think most people are pretty cool with paying, you know, ten or fifteen bucks for a piece of software. I mean, I you guys may not know this. Years ago, I managed pro- the um, the biggest code marketplace in the world, which is called Code Canyon. And this is stuff we had to deal with very much. So, like when we launched Code Canyon, um, you know, it didn't really exist that much. The idea of paying for components, so we were kind of in a blue ocean a little bit, and people were not happy about it. Yet, very quickly, the the marketplace exploded. It was doing very very well, but. Um, yeah, I think initially people people have trouble with the idea that others might charge for something that traditionally would be made available for free. But it just comes back to that same thing. Like, you know, people have to live here. So if it comes down to, well, I can only afford the time to build this component or whatever it is unless I can make some money from it, then then that's fine. You know, you don't need to have an opinion on that. Yeah. And, I mean, these, these WordPress theme people are laughing all the way to the bank on these – Oh my, you have packages. you have no idea how well they're doing. Like yeah. these, the top WordPress theme developers are m- making ridiculous amounts of money. Like yeah, ridiculous, sure. sure you would not believe. Of dollars, sure. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wow, and that's great. Oh. That's great because they're helping people get their job done, and the people find it to be a, a worthy value to invest in, and, and that's fantastic. That's that's what I mean. You know, I'm as I live in the Netherlands, you know, after having been in America my whole life, but that's capitalism and capitalism has its value. Yeah. And you don't have to be, it's not like you have to be, um, in dire straits to make it ethical to charge for your package. You can charge for a package of code, even if you're middle class or whatever. It's not, you know, it's not like Star Trek. I mean, (laughs) you can, you can charge for stuff you work on. It's, it's hard. Like, I think you'd have to try really hard to actually exploit somebody with a package. <laughs> I mean, if, if the yeah. package is awful and you're selling it for a ton of money, that's gonna people are gonna figure this out fast. Yeah, um, sales. Yeah, it's not like we are in an industry where we really have the capabilities of 
tapping into people's psychological uh weaknesses and exploiting them. It's not like this is the game industry or anything. EA. It's just, yeah. it's a completely different thing. I think that we can sell whatever we want to. Um, and if people find value, then that's fine. If not, then it'll, we'll just end up in the same situation as everybody else who didn't sell what they wanted to sell. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like a perfect mecca um, because when you sell stuff, there's an expectation of a support level or, you know, some kind of expectation that, that you will give them your time because they have purchased for it. Yeah, support um, is a so big deal. Yeah, that is people, a big deal. The guys on these marketplaces who make so much money, they have teams of support people helping them out because that's expected. <laughs> if you're going to charge someone 50 bucks for whatever, then they are going to have questions. And the types of people who buy this stuff are the ones who have lots of questions. You know, so they actually have teams of support uh, people to help them. Okay, guys. Well, I hate to. I, I'm really loving the conversation, uh, but I think we're reaching uh, a good time to stop. Um, does anybody want to throw something in there before we pop off? Yeah. Is everyone working on any cool side projects? I am. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Is anybody okay? Is anybody not working on cool side projects? Crickets. Yeah. I don't know if, yeah, we've got side projects. Uh, of course, we got stuff coming out of coming out of Laracon. We got Laravel four point two coming out in May. Um, yeah, so lots of stuff going on. I'm about to release a survey, so everybody. Uh, retweet the survey I released. I'm going to try to get as much information from PHP developers as possible, and uh, use it to build a game for Laracon EU. So uh, answer the questions truthfully. Don't be funny uh, because it's going to be funny enough. Nice, interesting. I'm pumped for Laracon EU. Oh, it's it's unbelievable how much work a conference is. It's just blowing my mind. And this conference is twice as big as the one last time. And nice. oh, we are just. Uh, anyway, you said you've already sold out all the early bird tickets. Yeah, right? we're we're like already. Yeah, we're like thirty seven percent of ticket sales completed. You've only and you've only tweeted about it like two or three times. I know we don't have any information on the website. <laughs> That's crazy. So in the next like seven days, we're gonna like pop up the next version of the website with a bunch of details. Mm. But um, yeah, it's it's kind of exploding way faster than we expected. Now, what if somebody elsewhere in the world wanted to do a Laracon? Is that something that would be open to them? Yeah, that's come up. You guys? Um, a developer in uh, Brazil, you know, South America, emailed me, and she wanted to um, look into the possibility of doing a Laracon down there. And I said, yeah. Like, I mean, if you scout out, just kind of scout out a venue and kind of put, like, an outline together for me and I can look at it and say, like, because we have to... We have to maintain like a certain level of quality, right? If we're going to call right. it Laracon, so I think if someone um, put something together, like in terms of this is the venue we can use, this is how many people we're expecting, um, there's these hotels nearby, we can do this place for an after party, and if they kind of like just give me the details, and you know, we can think about it. But yeah, I'm open to other Laracons, you know, especially places like South America, which they have a pretty big community. Yeah, there's a big community in India as well. I've seen yeah. a lot of tweets from them wanting to do something. So yeah, it might be worth researching kind of how WordCamps work, and that's just like anyone can can uh, do a WordCamp and arrange it, but you have to follow a very specific set of guidelines. Yeah, um, same with. I would think that's Sym inevitable. Go ahead. Symphony Live, you know, they have conferences all over the place. They seems like they have like a dozen of them. 
I, I need to ask how they're organizing all that. That'd be pretty cool, though. Okay. Um, does anybody want to talk about anything else? I Can I pimp out servers for hackers? Yes, and also Jesse O'Brien asks, where did you come up with the name Vaprobash? And I don't know Vaker if it's Vapro. Bash. Okay. Yeah. That's it. I, I'm not. Oh come on, Jesse. That was an easy one. Yeah, it's. I. I thought it was vagrant, like <laughs> something bash, but I didn't put together the provision part. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah, and it's not like I'm good at naming things. I just kind of like thought, hey, what is this? And I'm like, all right, vagrant bash. This provisioning. Okay. Um. It's actually really hard to pronounce. I almost wanted to call it vapor bash instead of vapor bash. It really is a very cool tool. Like it, it's it's pretty insane what you've done. There's been so many community contributions to it. So, um, like what were you saying um, before about how you just don't recognize your own code anymore because it's not your code anymore? Yeah. That's the case with this, um, and sometimes to the detriment because it's, there's not a good testing process. Because um, you know, vagrant upping and reprovisioning a server every time you make a change is such a pain. Um, yeah, Twenty minutes per pull request. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you're um, nah, if you're Taylor and your vagrant box is completely slow, that's here's just, what you do, Chris. You, you have to set up like a VM yeah. itself with all of the caching stuff necessary to <laughs> start up a VM with all this stuff. Oh man. So, I mean, so PRs, um, you can tell some are untested sometimes, uh, which is a little disappointing, but I completely understand it. Because um, sometimes it just stuff just gets broken. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of disappointing, but it's really a minor blip in the overall coolness of the project. Yeah, that's tough. Taylor, do you ever find yourself having to merge pull requests almost on faith? Things that maybe you don't have access to? You know, related to some of these drivers where it's like, oh, I don't use this, so I need somebody who who uses this, you know, to kind of help me out. Very rarely, actually. Like, um, oh, re- recently there was a pull request for a Rabbit MQ driver, and I said that I, re- I closed it and responded that just make it a package simply because I um, I don't have you know, the knowledge to bring that into the core and maintain it. So, yeah, it's very rarely now, especially since the drivers can be extended and built into composer packages and stuff that I would ever have to merge something like that. I can't even think of an example where I've done that. Almost okay. everything is covered by a test or something I know. Very cool. Another side project thing, um, the Laravel IO next version branch is basically a, I. Almost rewrote the whole thing. It's it's really close to being done, and, and Nick uh, Spelt is working on getting the design in place. But uh, now I think ninety percent of the controller stuff is functional and using all of the command dispatch domain event stuff that I'll be talking about at Laracon in New York. Uh, wow, it's just amazing how much that project eats time. So Chris never Chris never really gave the URL. You need to give the URL for servers for hackers. Oh, good point. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> servers for hackers dot com, yep. Alright. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the show today. 
Thank you. That was fun. Today was fun. Yeah, I hope uh, hoping it podcast. up soon. Uh, we'll have at least one more podcast before uh, New York City. It's nice having four people, by the way. I like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, silences. And you guys have nice microphones. Yes. A little perk. All right. Well, um, yeah. Thanks again, and uh, we'll whatever something in the future. Alrighty. Okay. Love See you guys. Bye. Bye.